0: Hello, and welcome to the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Margaret Parker. Joining us today is Murray M. Pollack, M.D., Chief Academic Officer at Phoenix Children's Hospital, Phoenix, Arizona. Dr. Pollack is with us today to discuss his article, The Ideal Time Interval for Critical Care Severity of Illness Assessment, published in the June 2013 Pediatric Critical Care Medicine. Thank you for being here today, Dr. Pollack.
1: It's my pleasure, Margaret.
0: So, Murray, you've you've done a lot of work with severity of illness uh, assessment, particularly the the Prism scores, which have been uh, commonly used and a valuable tool. What led you to look at different time intervals, um, and as you did with this study?
1: Uh, well, Margaret, the most important. One of the most important aspects of severity of illness scoring is is to try to dissociate the time period for the sampling uh, from the therapeutic interventions. So the assessment period should be sufficiently long to enable assessment of prognostically important variables, but it should be short enough so that it will it will include as little as possible of the therapy, therapies that are being used for those patients. Uh, over time, the practice patterns of measuring variables have changed. Uh, that is, uh, variable laboratory variables are frequently not uh, repeated if they're done in the emergency department when. In the early days of measuring severity of illness, uh, they were oftentimes repeated when people came to the ICU. So because of the changing practice patterns uh, for laboratory measurement, we thought it was critical to measure the, uh, uh, the shortest time period possible that would allow us to measure the PRISM laboratory variables without institutional bias.
0: So how did you go about doing this study?
1: Well, what we did was uh, the Collaborative Pediatric Critical Care Research Network is an uh, NIH-supported network of seven sites and eight ICUs. Uh, And uh, what we did was randomly select 376 uh, patients from each of these uh, units Uh, And then we collected all of their laboratory measurements from minus two, actually from minus four hours prior to admission to up to 12 hours after admission. The 12-hour time period is kind of the gold standard from the old PRISM score.
0: So what did you do with all of those values from all of those institutions?
1: Sure. Well, what we did was... we looked at what the, what the loss in information would be with different time intervals. So we looked at 0 to 12 hours, and that was our sort of our standard gold standard. Then we looked at how much information would be lost if we went from 0 to 8 hours or 0 to 6 or 0 to 4, and then minus 2 hours. To, f- to plus four hours, minus two hours, to six, et cetera. Uh, what we generally found was that including that time period from uh, up to hours prior to the ICU, when many laboratory values are measured in the emergency department, we actually only had a loss of about 3.5% uh, of the uh, Information. So uh, eventually, we, after looking at a a variety of analyses, we determined that the minus two hour to plus four hour time period for ICU and for plus four hours following ICU admission would be the most ideal time period.
0: So, if I understand you, comparing the um prism labs that you got had available from minus two hours to four hours after um PICU admission gave you more or less as good uh information as using the zero to twelve hour period so one could calculate the prism score at a much earlier time period. Is that
1: Yes that's correct and and the important part for 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 listeners who may use the prism score is that they can calculate the prism score uh, in this time period, but they should be warned not to use any of the uh any of the outcome prediction algorithms uh using this time period. We will very shortly uh, uh be concluding a much much larger study which will which which will recalibrate the prism score uh based on this time period, but with a sample of about 10,000. And that would be the appropriate prediction algorithm for them to use.
0: So the, the baseline data are there, but the algorithm prediction is not yet available.
1: Yeah, well, remember that... Uh, PRISM score is, is a, as a raw number, is a measure, is a quantification of severity of illness or physiologic instability. Mm-hmm. But how to relate that mm-hmm. uh, to mortality risk and hopefully in the future morbidity risk uh, is what requires, you know, uh, modeling uh, and coefficients for the variables and computations. And it's that last stage that we are just finishing up now.
0: Is there really much difference um, across institutions in terms of their clinical practice of measuring lab values? you know
1: you know there really is uh, and it becomes very important when these scores are used for quality assessment uh, because institutions may feel that if they're if they're uh, if they're a, a unit that measures uh, Variables in a different way, and they will be penalized uh, in their assessment of of their how sick their patients are, and thus they won't look as good on a quality of care assessment uh, uh, project. So it's important to to them. So o- over time, there's been a lot of. Change uh, now. Many more measurements are not repeated when patients come to the ICU, uh, and uh, they're repeated much more uh, routinely than they were when we first developed the Prism Score.
0: So, how does this inform our practice at this point?
1: Uh, at this point, uh, there's this is a preliminary study to a much larger study that we think uh, will inform our our practice a lot. Um, Let me go into that a little bit. Please do. The the Collaborative uh, Pediatric Critical Care Research Network determined that the paradigm of quality of care assessment and prediction algorithms in critical care was sort of based on a dichotomous outcome, survival or death. And that's what we all started with in the early days of severity of illness assessment, whether it be Apache or PRISM or any of the neonatal uh, assessment tools or mortality prediction model. Uh, well, Well... we believe is that in this modern era, what we really should be predicting is not only mortality, uh, because we've gotten pretty good at at reducing uh, mortality, but we should also be measuring morbidity, and that the. Perhaps the distinguishing feature between ICUs in terms of quality of care is actually how much morbidity is is created from that ICU stay. More and more of the literature and more and more of our efforts are aimed at reducing morbidity as well as keeping the patient alive. So what what the Collaborative has, Critical Care Research Network has done is first create a morbidity score uh for pediatric critical care which was quite an effort uh because children are naturally changing as their developmental status changes uh thinking of things like activity of activities of daily living for children ranging from you know a newborn up to a an adolescent is uh there's a wide range of of uh, normalcy in, mm-hmm. in that, but we did create a score called the functional status score, and that was published in two thousand and nine in uh, and now uh, we are finishing up a two thousand uh, i 'm sorry a ten thousand patient data set uh, which will allow us to uh, predict. Uh, morbidity as well as mortality, we hope if the, if we're successful, uh, and begin to investigate the use of morbidity prediction as a new way of assessing quality of care. Well,
0: that certainly is an extremely worthwhile goal. you know, as you noted, there's an increasing amount of attention appropriately so to morbidity from ICU outcomes. So would the, would the goal be then in your larger project to use the prism or the modified prism or whatever you're going to call it um, for the mortality part and the functional um, assessment score for the morbidity part? Or how do, how do they interrelate or do
1: they? Sure. The functional status score is actually the outcome is actually a morbidity outcome it's a scale of functioning that's uh that's numeric uh so one outcome will be survival or death and the other outcome will be a comparison from your admission functional status score to your discharge hospital discharge functional status score uh so uh that then be- becomes a way of a for us to measure morbidity we believe in critical care that at least in pediatric critical care that much of the morbidity is created through the same mechanisms as mortality uh, is determined that is bleeding di- disorders can create a, a risk of of a central nervous system bleeds. Trauma, which may be reflected in physiologic dysfunction also has associated morbidities that patients may be left with. those kinds of of, of uh, scenarios. Are common in critical care, and sometimes, uh, for example, this is probably more prevalent in in the care of head injury patients. Uh, things like temperature control or uh, oxygenation control uh, may be different across ICUs in the in the uh, in the in the way it's done, and that may create a different morbidity uh, profile when patients leave the hospital, but in the absence of a different mortality profile.
0: Interesting. Can you tell us a little bit about the functional um, s- status score?
1: Sure. The functional status score, uh, again, was published in 2009. And uh, if people want to look that up, I'm the first author on it. <laughs> what we did was we had about 11 or so different pediatric specialists who got together uh, and defined uh, six domains of functioning for children that we think could be used to, sp- to span the age spectrum. So things like motor control or auditory and visual uh, uh, sensation, uh, respiratory uh, support, feeding support, those kinds of of activities which are in the roughest sense analogous to activities of daily living for adults uh we created a scale of of function that with a fairly complete manual that defined uh, uh that kind of functioning for anyone from neonates through uh, independently functioning children. It's a pretty simple score. It can be done on individuals uh, within five minutes of, of, of effort, and it can be done from historical information. So while we would hasten to say that it's not applicable to individuals, we wouldn't necessarily tell parents what their functional status score is, we do think that, and we did show that it was very applicable to Populations. Uh, we validated it against a uh, an adaptive behavior scale that's widely used and widely accepted, called the ABIS two, and it functioned uh, pretty well compared to that.
0: So your your uh, upcoming study will be very interesting to look at both the the PRISM prediction of severity of illness, and the functional status score. Is this a prospective study of these 10,000 patients? Is that
1: Yes, it's prospective. I would think- and uh, we're using, um, you know, one of the purposes of, of this current study that we're talking about was to make sure that we had the right time period for this assessment. Because we're really talking about changing the quality, uh, uh, quality paradigm uh, for uh, critical care, uh, or potentially changing the quality paradigm uh, to include morbidity and we wanted to make sure that the PRISM score which uh, is important in this concept of, that is physiology based outcome prediction uh, we wanted to make sure we were measuring it in the right time period.
0: And I think the point that you made earlier about uh, being able to measure this early before it reflects the treatment that's given um, is an important point.
1: Yes, there's there are some scores and 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 uh, there are advocates for them so, such as the mortality prediction model in adult intensive care and the, the pediatric index of mortality in pediatric intensive care that use uh, even time periods uh only up to 1 hour. Uh, and you know, for some populations those scores have functioned very very well. Uh but they haven't functioned very well for all populations, and especially those populations that where, where the information is more physiology-based, where the prognostic information is more physiology-based, they tend to fall, fall apart. And that's especially true uh, with the pediatric index of mortality because it's more diagnostically based. Uh, and, uh, you know, we only know a limited amount of information about diagnosis when, when patients are, are admitted. Those things often change. And uh, the limited amount of physiology that you can, can collect in the first hour without doing extra tests uh, is uh, hinders that prediction. Now, we only are going from one hour to four hours in comparison and, and getting essentially the same amount of information that we used to get from in the olden days. Uh, when we first started severity illness assessment, we got that same information in 24 hours. So we've, we've pared it down about as much as we can. And who knows, over, the, over time, maybe it will even be reduced more.
0: Are there variations across? You, you studied uh, eight units, if I remember yes. correctly. Um, was there variability in uh, how the labs were available or how the um, uh, measurements were taken um, across the units or across different patient
1: populations? For this time period, for this time interval, there, there were not. Uh, and that's that's really the uh w- was one of the key features of our choosing this minus 2 to plus 4 hour time interval uh for 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 laboratory variable assessment uh if we used shorter time intervals uh we began to get uh, a few institutions that were outliers and they uh measured much less information pre ICU and uh waited waited until patients were admitted to the ICU and and if we waited longer the longer we waited the the less bias is imposed but the shorter we waited the more fear is that we would impose an institutional bias based on practice patterns in one of the original prism score uh, score studies we actually uh required more than 10 hours of data to ensure that it would not be an institutional bias. So we've come down a lot since then.
0: And including the uh, minus two hours or those uh, labs that were done, as you said, in the emergency department, I think is um, probably helps you considerably because um, our practices have changed and many of us don't repeat those labs that were done just a short time before.
1: Sure. It turns out that that we actually... Include more measurements with this minus two to plus four hour time period than the zero to 12 hour time period uh, it, uh, for some variables, and those are blood gases and CBC variables. So people people who get their blood gases and CBCs done in the emergency department really do not get them repeated if, unless they're obviously needed, right. but uh, do not do not routinely get them r- repeated uh, in the ICU. And, and that really is a practice pattern change.
0: So ultimately, um, this large project that you're working on will, we hope, um, help us improve our quality of care, measure our quality of care, compare it across institutions, uh, and lead to improvement in the care we deliver
1: uh we we're, we're very hopeful about that you know if you think back to the history of severity of illness scores and and what they've uh, done for the evolution of critical care uh that we've been taught an awful lot uh, about what are the care factors of individual institutions that make for good quality of care, and they've used uh, severity of illness methodologies as their basis. The leapfrog uh, recommendation for 24/7 staffing of ICUs is a direct uh, result of uh, severity of illness scores that that were able to measure quality of care differences in different care models. Uh, so as we move forward in critical care, uh, especially in this electronic era, and uh, uh, your your listeners will probably know as much, if not more, than I about the various practices that are going on uh, nationally, uh, having a severity score that can measure the right outcomes is uh, crucial to, to to evaluating how... How our systems of care evolve,
0: and I, I would like to emphasize um, a point that you made earlier: that these um, severity of uh, illness assessment tools are for systems and units and institutions, and not for individual level prognosis.
1: Yeah, that, that's very that's that's very true. Uh, intermittently. Uh, we all have done some studies of whether or not they can be used in for for individuals and uh, the fact is that uh, the uh, overall the at least in pediatrics uh people do pretty much as well as a severity as a severity scores in assessing prognosis uh they just don't do it objectively and consistently so we need the scores to help us as, uh, assess our systems but there's never been any evidence that at least the methods we have now improve on outcome uh, if we were to give this information to uh, to the docs at least survival of death outcome
0: mm-hmm. do you have any final comments you'd like to make Murray
1: well I certainly would like uh, to thank you and uh, critical care medicine for this opportunity and uh, I hope that interested people will follow this this study. Our data collection is hopefully going to be finished in April or early May, and so people can expect to see some uh, reports of, of, uh, of this larger study coming out hopefully soon after that.
0: Well, I'll certainly be looking forward to that. Thanks a lot, Murray.
1: My pleasure. Take care.
0: We have been talking today with Dr. Murray M. Pollack from Phoenix Children's Hospital in Phoenix, Arizona, discussing the article, The Ideal Time Interval for Critical Care Severity of Illness Assessment, published in Pediatric Critical Care Medicine in June 2013. This concludes another edition of the iCritical Care podcast. Please check out our website at www.sccm.org slash iCriticalCare for more information. You can now find us on Stitcher and Beyond Pod, as well as on iTunes. For the iCritical Care Podcast, I'm Dr. Margaret Parker.
2: Prepare for the critical care boards by attending SCCM's Adult Multiprofessional Critical Care Board Review Course, MCCBRC, to be held at the JW Marriott Hotel from August 10 to 14, 2013, in Washington, D.C., USA. The Adult MCCBRC is designed for practitioners who are preparing for the critical care subspecialty exams, as well as those seeking review on critical care. For more information and to register, visit www.sccm.org slash board review. Margaret Parker, MD, FCCM, serves as an Associate Editor for the iCritical Care Podcasts. Dr. Parker is professor of pediatrics at Stony Brook University in New York and is the director of the Pediatric Intensive Care Unit at Stony Brook University Medical Center. A former president of the Society of Critical Care Medicine, Dr. Parker is involved in quality improvement and standardization of care in the pediatric ICU, as well as resident education. Her clinical interests include severe sepsis and septic shock in children. The Critical Care podcast is copyrighted material and all rights are reserved. Statements of fact and opinion expressed in this podcast are those of authors and participants and do not imply an opinion on the part of the Society of Critical Care Medicine or its officers or members.